Welcome back, everyone. I'm Tony Brown, and you're listening to Firearms Cafe, the show where we discuss the philosophies of responsible firearms ownership, as well as the relevant issues and challenges that we face in the current gun culture. Hey, everybody. What's going on? Today is Thursday. It is the 29th of November, 2018. I'm in the home studio. And we'll talk about that here a little bit after we get our contact info host, or posted. Excuse me. If you'd like to contact me, I do have the voicemail, which is area code 206-745-2731. There is the email address, which is firearmscafe at protonmail.com. All one word, firearmscafe at protonmail.com. And there you can send an email or you can send me your own audio that you've recorded If you go over to the website, which is firearmscafe.com, you'll find buttons for Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, and also about halfway down, if you're ever so inclined, and I would be greatly appreciative, there is a donation button. Now, the reason I mentioned that I was in the studio is the first segment that we're going to hear, I did about, I think about three weeks ago. And it was shortly after the California shooting in that bar. And I had debated about maybe trying to re-record my thoughts on that because the audio is not as good as I would like it to be. It is listenable, but you'll need to kind of bear with me through the first maybe, I don't know, 13, 14 minutes of the show. So anyway, give that thing a listen and... uh, one of the main reasons why I didn't sort of maybe re-record the thoughts is because it was sort of how I felt in the moment, and I thought there is some value to having you guys be able to hear that. All right, so let's go ahead and jump in. Let's talk a little bit about the shooting that occurred in California. The anti-gun people and the super far left people going to use this as an opportunity to further gun control. They're going to use it as an opportunity to push a certain agenda. And we're going to hear a lot of the same arguments. That is because of stuff like this, because of the amount of rounds that were expended, and I heard it was around 30-something, and that the guy had a in a capacity magazine for the, and I think it was the 45 caliber Glock that he was using. Of course, in California, I think you are limited to 10 rounds. I don't know if they have a, a deal where you can be grandfathered in so that if you had possession of magazine that held more than 10 rounds prior to their ban being enacted. I don't know if that again would be grandfathered in or not. But anyway, regardless of that, we will hear certain people that say, well, this is why you shouldn't have the higher capacity magazines. But the reality is, even if it was down to a five round magazine, you can reload so quickly that the point is basically moot. So, in a, in a chaotic situation like that, where everything is super stressful and things are happening so so fast, the ability for the guy to reload, even if it just took him one second, maybe two at the most, probably most people aren't going to be able to react and get to the guy fast enough if they were going to try and rush him or, or do whatever. I'm sure that probably nobody in that bar was armed. But it's not just, you know, a lot of times the people on the pro-gun side, on our side, will say, well, if there had just been one or two people in there that were armed, it could have been a different situation. But again, this stuff is, I, I, 
I think a lot of times people, when you're talking about that, you're not in that situation. And, and you're not experiencing the chaos. You're not experiencing maybe some of the mental lagging behind that I think can be relatively natural. That sometimes it does take you a second or two to process what's going on and then to be able to say, okay, this is what I need to do, that type of thing. So again, it comes down to, it has to be more than that. There was somebody there who had a gun and was able to, to engage the person. So you have to say, okay, well, there has to be, number one, somebody there with a firearm. Number two, they have to be willing to act. They have to actually be able to engage the person. And number three, and this is the most important one, they have to have the physical ability to do that. So, again, you know, I talked a little bit about that mental process and sometimes you can kind of freeze up and that's not a thing of oh somebody being brave or cowardly it's a thing of it's a human hardwired response that we have a lot of times is to stop and assess even if that takes just a millisecond for some maybe some people can process and, and go through that process fast but most people don't just react Most, most people, it's not saying that there aren't people out there when something happens that they would react immediately, but I think that most people, the average person, the way that our brains work, you have to sort of know what's going on before you can have a response, other than something maybe like a startle response. So again, you have to have somebody that can maybe overcome overcome it quickly, maybe the response to freeze. Again, we're talking about thousands and thousands of years of evolution that sometimes when you hear loud noises, when there's a threat, sometimes the thing is to freeze, stop moving, and look and see what's happening and then react from there. Sometimes that startle response can be followed up by, for whatever reason, your brain processes it very, very quickly because you've sort of experienced it before or it's, it's uh, kind of genetically hardwired into you to run immediately um, or to act in a certain way. So again, we have to have somebody there that would have the tools to... to stop this person. Number two, to mentally have already, prior to this incident happening, or a incident happening, I guess I should say, I should make it this specific one. But prior to that, to a incident happening, you have sort of already made up your mind and kind of have run things in your head. If A happens, I will do B. If, if then... That's an important part of, of decision making and having a plan is the if-then part. So if this happens, then I will do this. If then, because of what I did, this happens, I will do this. So it's a continuing uh, chain of reactions to what can go wrong and what can go right for you. But, you know, we have to understand that just throwing out the answer of, or the response, I guess I should say, of, well, if there had been a person there, just imagine what had happened if there had been a person there with a firearm. Well, if we look at it from a, a real perspective, you would have to, number one, you would also have to say, well, hopefully that guy just didn't get shot 
and killed, he just luck of the draw, his number was up. Or her number, whoever's in there. A lot of times places like that again are you know, we can say the gun-free zone stuff. Uh, a lot of times even in states. Well, let's say like even in Arizona. If you go into a bar, you can go in there if it's not posted. Signs do have force a lot here. But let's say if it's not posted, you can go in, but you can't consume alcohol. And the way that the law is written out here, even though we have constitutional carry, you're not allowed to go into a place that sells alcohol for consumption on the premises unless you have a concealed carry permit. So a CCW out here. And again, you can't consume anything. How many people are going to do that? Uh, and it brings up the... Uh, you know, so in a place like that, the odds of somebody else being armed in there are pretty low to start with. So... Uh, that's when we need to talk about things like, well, we would, you know, you consider that a non-permissive environment. You consider that a, um, a situation maybe where you should participate in civil disobedience because you would say the the state really has done nothing to ensure my safety in there other than saying don't do that. But obviously if somebody wants to break that rule in order to break a much larger law or rule or tenet of society, however you want to look at it, and murder people at random, what has the state done? Because the state is saying you can't go in there denying you your right to self-defense and self-protection and the protection of other innocents but they're doing nothing absolutely nothing to protect you in that moment and again the people on the side of wanting to limit guns and wanting to take away certain rights and the people that want to expand government will say, well, that's what the police are for. And they're there to protect you. And, but, you know, we see time and time again that the police aren't everywhere at once. And if they, you know, you don't want to live in a police state. You don't want to live in a world where Big Brother is everywhere. Again, freedom isn't free and they're, they're, there is a risk in living in the world and there is a risk of going outside your home and interacting with other people. And so that's when we talk about things like civil disobedience and I guess we should probably define what civil disobedience means. And the reality of civil disobedience is that in general, you believe that the laws that we have the rules that we've kind of agreed to, to live by for the most part are pretty much just and pretty much don't impinge on people or uh, put people at a disadvantage or put you at a Somebody doesn't benefit by your loss, that type of thing. So you're not being sort of suppressed. You're not being oppressed by these rules. Even if it's one person that becomes oppressed or one person that is treated, uh, that loses their civil liberties and loses their, their basic human rights, then that law is, uh, should be invalid. So... For the most part, what you do when you're engaging in civil disobedience is you say, I think that the majority of the, the laws or the tenets that we have are just and are fair and 
are something that protects the individual. And by protecting the individual, we protect everybody. And but, the and, and I guess I should say instead of but, and this particular rule that I am choosing not to follow is one of those things that limits my ability to stay alive. Or that is something that is oppressive or subjugative in nature uh, without having uh, any benefit to society. Because we could say, well, why is it it's, it's, a, it's an oppression on me not to let me just go into anybody's house that I want and hang out even if I'm not going to harm anybody. Uh, and then we go back to things like private property and stuff like that. But anyway, you know, we can get way down in the weeds and get kind of ridiculous on that kind of stuff. But uh, that's what we mean when we talk about civil disobedience. That generally you would be a person who is not going to engage in... And I'm trying to choose my words here carefully. That you're not going to uh, aggress against others and by choosing or engaging in civil disobedience of a certain particular law, rule, or tenet, by doing that you are not aggressing on another person, you're not defrauding someone, you're not uh, uh, violating their private property rights, that type of stuff. So again, I guess this has been a long, kind of convoluted thing, and I'm more just sort of thinking out loud as I'm driving along here. And I don't know if uh, if this segment will even make it. The uh, the audio may be too crappy, but we'll see. Uh, long and short of it, again, those three things sort of have to be there. Number one, somebody would have to be armed in that situation. Number two, they would have to be mentally willing to act and number three this is the most important they would actually have to have the physical ability to do so meaning that they haven't been injured meaning that they're not kind of frozen in fear and again uh, sometimes we I think label that falsely as cowardice uh, but uh, you know the, the human mind works in in, uh, in certain ways and there are some times where you will freeze or where you can't move or you can't yell, you can't do anything. How do you overcome stuff like that? Probably through training, probably through very specific training. Uh, things where you would actually not just mentally kind of run through the scenarios in your head, uh, but stuff where you would actually have to set up training situations where you could run those scenarios and you then have sort of those neural pathways burned in. And maybe I'm wrong about it, uh, but from some of the stuff that I've read, that's kind of about one of the only ways that you can sort of overcome that stuff. It's not going to be necessarily a natural thing. It may be, I mean, we do have a, a survival instinct, I believe that, but... Uh, there are certain things sometimes where it takes a little bit of time for that to kick in. And for some people, I'm sure that it is a thing of that instinct kicks in quicker for some people than for other people. All right, this is going to be it for this segment. Hey, everybody. You guys got time warped and back in the truck. I don't really remember what I was talking about. I haven't edited it yet. So hopefully I won't repeat myself. Now on the last show, as opposed to the last segment that you heard just moments ago, I was talking about kind of what I thought was going to happen midterms and what would happen out here in Arizona, what was going to happen kind of overall in the country. And I kind of think that for the most part, you know, as much as you can kind of predict some of this stuff, that I was right about what was going to happen in the Senate, that the Senate would stay in Republican hands, but that the House would definitely go into Democrat hands, that it was going to kind of turn over. And a lot of that, I felt, was going to do, have to do with, I guess I should say, 
with Trump backlash. Now again, whether you like him, whether you hate him, maybe we should try and put some of that stuff aside and just kind of try and look at what actually happened. So, uh, also, I was I was a little wrong with what happened out here in Arizona. Although I I had thought, man, it is going to be a super close race. But let's talk a little bit about. What does this sort of mean for us as far as overall stuff uh, with these guys as far as as the Democrats taking over the House? I think that we're going to see a lot of anti-gun stuff come through. I don't know, or or, I guess I shouldn't say come through. I guess what I should say is that we're going to see a lot of anti-gun bills presented. I think that what's going to happen is they are going to think that they have a you know a quote-unquote mandate which i i don't really think that they do uh, i think that it's just sort of one of those kind of uh, natural things in the cycle of politics and i think they're going to overplay their hand a little bit with gun control it used to be they kind of hid in the shadows with it they kept it kind of on the down low but now they are pushing that out to the front or you know maybe i should say the uh, the most vocal and the most recognizable of the democrats their leadership, all that type of stuff, or the people that seem to get a lot of airtime, they are going to push for uh, gun control. It also seems that they, the, if the more vocal you are in being in favor of gun control, it seems that the more press that you're going to get. So I would look for some of these newer ones to come in and uh, kind of pick up the ball and sort of run with it. I, and I can't remember if I talked last time about how they aren't really learning from some of the stuff that happened in the past. And in some ways you could say, well, hey, you know, it's, it's, it's different than when, when Clinton was in office. It's a, kind of a new ball game, that type of thing. And, you know, that is true. But uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Like I said, I think what they'll do is they will maybe overplay their hand a little bit and come the 2020 election, it may swing back to the Republicans. Uh, it may be that if, if they, if the economy stays relatively strong, uh, and if they sort of overplay their hand on that, uh, they may be seen as over over regulating, not just with guns, but maybe with some other things as well. I think that what there's going to be is a lot of gridlock, which for us in gun world may be a good thing. Unfortunately, when the Republicans were in, and as you guys know, I'm not Republican. I'm more libertarian in philosophy and anything like that. So when the Republicans were in, the last two years, when they had the House and the Senate, they did nothing for us as gun owners. They didn't pass anything. They could have passed the Hearing Protection Act and they could have at least got the ball started on national reciprocity. And they did not. They did nothing. Which should tell you how, how high a priority that is. And it also should tell you how high a priority gun owners are to Trump. Again, does he want to take away guns? Does he want to see certain things regulated? I think it depends on who talked to him 30 minutes ago. Uh, I do, and like I said before, I do not see him as this great negotiator. I do not see him as this towering intellect. I see him sort of being kind of a stubborn mule, and I see him being a guy that's just kind of trying to bull his way through stuff. It depends on maybe whose advice he's following, and you know, I, I don't know trying to keep this stuff more kind of gun-centric and not kind of delve off more into side issues of health care. There will be things like that, and I guess we probably should talk about some of health care and some immigration a little bit. And you say, well, how does that pertain to gun stuff and gun rights issues? And what you would say is, well, 
if they're fighting so much with immigration, if they're fighting so much on health care, if they're fighting with some of these other things, what that's going to mean is that maybe some of the gun stuff will take a little bit of a back seat for them. Uh, as long as there are no major tragedies, which unfortunately there are always going to be some, in a country this size and with the amount of media attention that these guys get once they go on these shooting sprees, they're going to get what they want. Whether you, you know, that's, that's maybe a subject for another, another show, but whether or not you think that the press should report on stuff and that we should be have, we, that we should have access to information or whether you think, oh, they shouldn't give these guys as much celebrity that they shouldn't even mention their names. Uh, but again, of course, they're not going to do that. So anyway, let's switch gears here real quick. So, well, before we do that, so I think there will there will be a lot of maybe uh, gridlock, a lot of uh, fighting and things like that. I wonder if we'll see maybe a bit of... Uh, of a schism in the Democrat Party because you have some people that are coming up now that are super far left in their philosophy, some leaning over into communist philosophy, and uh, there are several who are straight up, no hiding it, no hiding their light in a bushel, straight up socialist. I don't know if some of the old guard Democrats who have seen that that stuff like that doesn't really play very well. I don't know. Uh, It'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Bernie Sanders, especially in 2020, Um, as popular as he is. Are they going to try and run him? Probably not. He'll definitely probably make a run for it, whether or not he'll get the Democratic nomination. Now, of course, he's supposed to be an independent, but he ran on the Democratic ticket, so... You know. Anyway, let's not get too far down in the weeds with that stuff for right now. So let's talk a little bit about Arizona and what's going on in Arizona. And I'm sure it's going to be similar in other places as well. In Arizona, we had Martha McSally and Kirsten Cinema that were running for the Senate. And uh, they were taking over Jake Flake's position. And like I said, I, I don't have a lot of use for Flake. He says right now that he's not looking uh, to run for the presidency in 2020. You know, I don't know. It's, it's the way that with the uh, PACs work, the political action committees and all that kind of stuff. That's a correct what those initials stand for. I think it is. There's a lot of money to be made or potential money to be made and contacts to be made by running for president of the United States, especially if you can kind of get get a little bit further down the road. You get your name out there. Maybe you then switch over to a lobbyist. Maybe he you know, comes back here in Arizona and tries to run for governor. Maybe he you know, comes in and, and uh, wants to get in the house. You know, I, I don't know. Um, he is not very popular out here. And one of the big things was with him is why he left his seat is that he figured he was up for re-election. The writing was sort of on the wall for him that you're not going to get re-elected. And so what he did is he was, and again, let's, let's just kind of stick to the facts and not get bogged down into the emotion of whether you like Trump or hate Trump. He was one of those never Trump guys. And especially when he learned that he, or, or well... Should I say learned? I don't know. Yeah, I guess we'll go with that. Once once he sort of learned about the writing on the wall and that his chances for re-election would be slim to none, he started doing all this stuff where he was kind of painting himself as a, a martyr. And he was also trying to then also be, with his remaining time in the Senate, being this moderate guy, this guy who is going to willing to reach across the aisle and have common sense and do all this other stuff. And the reason I bring some of this stuff up about the moderation type thing is if we look at the type of campaigns 
that's McSally, Martha McSally, and Kirsten Cinema ran. Cinema ran as a moderate, very, very moderate, if anything, just very left of center type candidate. Well, I'm going to be willing to work with Democrats. I'm going to be willing to, because that's our party, but I'm also going to be willing to reach across the aisle for Republicans. And if my Democratic Party is doing stuff that's not good for Arizona, well, then I'm not going to go along with it. Which is about as big a load of crap as, as ever has been spoken. She will fall into the party line. Uh, years ago, she was seen as sort of too left for Arizona. However, once she goes up into Washington, look for her to go bananas. Now, right now, there is a guy named John Kyle, who was a former senator, and he is taking, has taken over, excuse me, uh, John McCain's place uh, when his spot came open uh, due to his death. And our governor appointed him uh, to go up in there. So, from an Arizona standpoint, we have a Democrat and we have a Republican in there. Our current governor is a Republican governor. And what he may do, although some people would, you know, there'd be a lot of hue and cry about this, but what he may do is he may appoint, well, he, if Kyle, Kyle is just in there temporarily, and he may appoint, and he will probably appoint the next person to go in and fill out the rest of McCain's term. I thought, now I could be wrong, I think that Kyle may be only going up until uh, this year or something like that. I don't know. I thought McCain's term went till 2020, so I don't know if Kyle is, is saying that, you know, I'll step in, but you, you, know, you need to appoint somebody else come uh, 2019 because I'm not going to do it. Who knows? He may, you know, write out the rest of this thing. Uh, Kyle was decent on guns. Basically, what's going to happen in the Senate is from Arizona, we're going to be as as far as if we're looking at the color code, Arizona is going to be more of a purple state because you're going to have red and blue. Kirsten Cinema is never, ever, ever, and I will say it again, never, ever, ever, going to vote for anything that is pro-gun. Somebody like Kyle, probably just along party politic lines, will probably almost always vote the opposite of her. And also, it depends on who our current governor, Doug Ducey, who he appoints. Now, he can appoint basically whoever he wants. So he could, in theory, say, well, there's, there's a couple of uh, schools of thought out here. Depending on if, and I can't, I haven't, I don't know yet, but whether or not the the race for lieutenant governor has been decided yet. There is one theory that said that what Ducey may do is if we have a Republican lieutenant governor, what he may do is appoint himself, which he could do, he may appoint himself to the Senate, and then the, the lieutenant governor would take over, which would be a, a Republican. I don't know that he's going to do that. I think that was just one of those theories that was floated out there. Ducey's generally okay on guns. He's, you know, eh. He's typical Republican, is about all I can say on that type of stuff. However, there was some stuff that said, there was some scuttlebutt that said what he could do, even though McSally lost, and even though People would go, she lost, you can't appoint her. He may appoint her and put her in there. Again, her term would be up in 2020. However, at that point, she would have had two full years in the Senate and would probably be able to win uh, win election. I almost said re-election, but she would be able to maintain her position there just because she would be an incumbent. And I think she would run her campaign much differently. One of the reasons I think that she didn't win is because McSally really tied herself to Trump. And I think what she should have done is 
maybe done a little bit of that, but then also kind of projected herself as her own person. You, you almost thought what you were going to get was sort of this Trump clone. Now, some people also say, well, also what they should have done is had Trump come out here a couple more times and done some rallies for, because in, in I guess in theory where he went, the, the people I think did better or uh, maybe for the most part won. I don't know if that was in all cases. However, it can be one of those things that correlation is not causation. So we'll see on that. But I do think that McSally really kind of came off as like a, a Trump clone. And in some ways, if, if we look back and we say, how did Hillary Clinton come off? She came off as sort of shrill and kind of a cold and, and um, of course she had a lot of other problems too, but that was how McSally kind of came off as well. Uh, and I think there were some opportunities out here that she didn't take without going too far into the weeds. But so I don't know. It will be very interesting. I don't know if Ducey will will do that, whether he'll appoint her or not. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. But unfortunately for us in Arizona, we have a super left-leaning liberal, super far, super far left for the next six years. So whoop-de-doo for that. And like I said, she will never, ever, ever vote for anything pro-gun. So we would either need to have a, unfortunately, a, a Republican candidate in there to balance her out or a libertarian candidate in there to balance her out. So had Cinema been in the Senate, she would not, I doubt she would have voted for Kavanaugh. Again, Kavanaugh was never my, my guy to start with. I always liked Kethledge, but you know, Kethledge didn't get the nod. So it will be interesting to see what the next two years brings. It will be interesting. Like I, another thing I talked about was, well, is Ginsburg, will she step down? And we'll have to see. Maybe she will, maybe she won't. Now that they're the um, the Democrats are going to control the House, of course, stuff has to go through the Senate. But you know, through that nomination process, are you know, are they going to fight stuff tooth and nail so much that now that they have a little bit of power, they'll be able to get somebody who is, of course, they want somebody who's going to be left of center. But maybe they could get somebody who is going to be more moderate from their standpoint, which would mean generally more left but occasionally goes right uh you know if, if you're looking at it kind of from from my my standpoint so anyway kind of speaking of a, a bunch of these knuckleheads there was a, a big kerfluffle although it's almost all gone away now about that guy uh swaldwell whatever his name was and how he you know they were having like some triddle twitter exchange <laughs> excuse me and he made you know some snarky comment about oh you can you know the one guy had said something like, you know, if you come to take the guns, that's basically you're asking for civil war. And then his smart out comment was something like, oh, you know, um, it won't go like you think the government has, you know, a war against the U.S. government. How do you think that's going to work? The government has nukes and they're legit, meaning there was the threat. Oh, the, you know, if, if we ever did want confiscation, we've got the, the might of uh of the uh, nuclear arsenal to back up our threat. And of course, I mean, and you know, there's tons of memes and most of them I think are tongue in cheek and most of them are just kind of, you know, taking pop shots at this guy just because they can. But in his tweet, if we go into context, what he, what he actually said was, Oh, I think if you and I could meet face to face or something, we could actually sit down and have a civil discussion. It, that's a paraphrase of what he said, but that's basically what he meant. And of course it's all blown out. But, I think it does illustrate a little bit of a point in that it does show the mentality of some of these guys. Uh, and this falls both on the left and the right. Uh, and in this example, it just happens to be a guy who is on the left. But you know, make no mistake, this would go to the right as well. Is their willingness to use force to get what they want? Their willingness, like he now, of course, he would never say, oh, seriously, he would never consider nukes. Obviously, would he consider using the National Guard to go door to door? Probably, you know, if, if they thought they could get away with that type of confiscation. I do think if something like that ever did happen in this country, at least, you know, within the next five, ten years or so, 
that you would probably have, I wouldn't say you'd have civil war, or there would be bloodshed. There would be people who would fight and there would be chaos. There would be people who would take it upon themselves to attack, you know, anybody in uniform, you know, that type of thing. Um, and that would be a, 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 a very low minority, but it would also be a thing of people would actually feel, some people would feel justified. And again, this isn't me saying, oh, that's, you know, the correct uh, action to take. But some people would. Some people would say they're coming to take our firearms and they're, gonna, they're coming door to door and this is you know, this can't be tolerated. We've seen stuff in the past when certain types of legislation has been threatened that some people, well, uh, what was his name? Uh, James Yeager made the threat about it's time to, you know, rally and get our guns and if this stuff happens, you know, I'm going to start killing people. That, you know, blah, 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 all that nonsense that he was spouting. So anyway, I think sometimes what we need to do is sort of step back a little bit from all the hyperbole and all the clutching of pearls. You know, a lot of times we say, or people in gun world say, oh, the people on the left, they're all just snowflakes and they're clutching their pearls all the time but you know we do it on the right as well if we're being intellectually honest so like i said before i think it is going to be rather interesting i don't i don't know i don't know if we're going to see that many threats i think there may be are going to be so busy fighting about other stuff which you know may be good for us and maybe with some of the democrats now back in the house with them taking over Maybe that will light some fires under us and gun world uh, to get the people that are supposedly pro-gun to actually start to do some stuff. But like I said, they had it for a couple of years and they did nothing. So before you tout how great the Republicans are on guns, remember that. They could have passed, at the very least, they might not have been able to get concealed carry reciprocity through, but they could have for sure passed the Hearing Protection Act and maybe gotten silencers taken off of uh, and made, made them not an NFA item. All right, well, hopefully, like I said, hopefully I didn't repeat stuff too much. I don't think, I don't know how much editing I'm going to do uh, just because I kind of wanted to get a little bit of free-flowing conversation stuff going with you guys. Let me know what you think. Let me know what kind of happened in your guys' state. Uh, send me an email. Send me a shout-out. If you, you want me to give you a shout-out or something like that, or just a thing saying, hey, like I was saying, I, I had, uh, oh, on a little bit of unrelated note, if you like this show, you're like me, and you, you used to listen to Armed Ape, I did put out kind of a placeholder, a uh, state of the podcast, and what I have been doing is I've got two or three shows in the can. I want to get two or three more, some reviews and things like that. And then I'm going to start releasing those maybe every other week. I don't know, maybe maybe once a week. I, I don't know. I, I'll probably go every other week on that, and we'll see what the numbers do, and we'll see what kind of feedback I get. But anyway, let me hear from you guys. I'm begging you. Begging you, I tells you. Just send me a quick email or, or call up on the... Um, on the voicemail and say, Hey, how you doing? Or I'm alive. Or, you know, this is Bob from Alaska or something like that. Anyway, uh, let me give you that contact info area code, uh, for the voicemail area code two zero six seven four five two seven three one. email address where you can send your own email or you can record your own audio on your phone and ship that off to me. Is Firearms Cafe at ProtonMail.com. All one word Firearms Cafe at ProtonMail.com. Hey, before I let you guys go, I did want to jump in here and give a correction and also a little bit of a clarification. So, the correction is in Arizona, we do not have a lieutenant governor, we have a secretary of state. And the way that that works is they are not appointed by the governor that's in power for the most part. There is an election for that position. And what had happened in the state here recently is 
There was a uh, Republican, a female named uh, Michelle Regan or Reagan. I can't remember how you pronounce her last name. She had been appointed when the elections rolled around. There was a guy, Steve Gaynor. He beat her in the Republican primary. His person he was running against was a uh, lady named Katie Hobbs. Of course, she's a Democrat. And at the time of the segment, we did not know 100% who had actually won the position of Secretary of State. It turns out that Katie Hobbs uh, won by a narrow margin, but she still won. And I think it was uh, roughly, you know, around like 20,000 votes different or something like that, which, you know, is, is a, uh, a pretty close margin when, when, you know, you know, when you've got about a million or so votes that have been cast. Anyway, I say that part to let you guys know that I do not think one of the rumors that I talked about that Ducey may appoint himself to the Senate to take over McCain's position. I don't think that that's going to happen because he doesn't want to give up uh, control of the of the uh, the governorship to the opposite party because Ducey is Doug Ducey is a, uh, a Republican. So anyway, just wanted to kind of clear the air up on that. So knowing that now, what does that mean for us out here, at least in Arizona, as far as gun rights and things like that? What type of legislation is going to be passed, or what stuff is going to be pushed forward? And generally out here. The state legislature, where a lot of the the laws are going to come through, is generally a Republican majority, which for the most part means that at least anti-gun stuff is not going to get pushed through. We we have a pretty good organization in Arizona Citizens Defense League, and they kind of work with our representatives out here in trying to get more pro-gun legislation passed, or at the very least maybe some negative restrictions on our gun rights out here lessened. As far as the future holds, again, I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of anti-gun stuff passed, but what we will see, I think, is that we're going to maybe have to do a little bit of fighting to maybe get some of the pro-gun stuff pushed through, or again, like I was saying before, Maybe some of those restrictions kind of lifted off of us. As far as in the Senate, since I don't know who is ultimately going to take McCain's spot, whether Kyle will ride that out, whether or not Ducey will appoint somebody or possibly appoint Martha McSally, who knows. But like I was saying before in the Senate, it will basically be kind of a gridlock thing where they, I'm sure, will vote against each other. Again, for the most part, probably a, probably not too much of a bad thing. However, as far as getting pro-gun stuff passed through the Senate, it is kind of a bummer because it was it would be one less vote that would in all likelihood go for a pro-gun stuff. Again, like I said before, in the uh, in the segment that I that you had just heard, the Republicans had the House, had the Senate, had the White House, didn't do anything for us. They did nothing. Uh, anyway, did want to uh, let you guys know kind of the results of what happened. Some people are going to care about it, some people not. Um, and like I had said before, what's going on in your state, go ahead and let me know. All right, guys, I will talk to you next time.